Bible reading will be from Matthew 16, verses 1 to 12. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test them, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, it will be, a fair, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the word of God. Thank you, Brother Julian, for that amazing prayer and scripture reading. Let's invite our Pastor David up to give the sermon today. Hello, good morning. Um, <laughs> will, will you join me uh, as I pray before we get into God's word? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we have um, words on a page that uh, we can read to actually find out who you are. You actually went to the length of describing who you are to us. Um, and thank you that these are not just mere words, but they're your words. And we ask that you'd help us today to have ears to hear your words so that we might change. That we might be in awe of who Jesus is in your word. And that would change our lives. So I ask for your help. Uh, as we come together humbly, um, I ask that you'd lead us by the Spirit, that you'd convict our hearts, that you'd counsel us, that you'd teach us, uh, that you'd comfort us. Yeah. And we, we, we need you today. We can't just come uh, before your word and hope uh, to, to get something out of it without uh, your help. So I ask that you'd help us in Jesus' name, we pray. We're in a, a series on the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been here for quite a while now. We've been here for, man, it's been um, since the start of last year. A lot's happened since the start of last year, hasn't it? Um, we're about halfway through the book, or just past halfway through the book, um, and through the Gospel of Matthew, we've really been seeing this idea that Christianity, it's not a matter 
primarily of behavioral change, uh, but it's primarily about heart change, right? Uh, and just last week, we looked at this wonderful invitation uh, Jesus gives to us, this deep satisfaction of the soul uh, that he invites us to, right, to come and sit at his table, whether you're an outsider, whether you're unclean, uh, to come and sit at his table to enjoy uh, the best home-cooked meal that you could ever have, to enjoy the joy of salvation, forgiveness of all of your sins. And there's this deep peace, there's this deep satisfaction that comes from belonging to Jesus and knowing that all of your sins are forgiven in him. But there's also times like today's passage where we're reminded of just how sinful we are, right? how sinful the human heart is. Uh, and it's important that we actually come to these passages and we, uh, we, we really consider what it is that it's saying to us because, uh, you know, something that uh, tends to happen a lot uh, in, in Asian circles, and you know, maybe this hasn't happened to you much if you're Asian, it doesn't really matter, but, um, you know, like, we have a habit of going out to grab a meal together, and we see this all the time, especially with our parents' generation, uh, after the meal, right? Um, they're just fighting. They're fighting to get to the counter and to pay for the meal. Uh, sometimes they're wrestling each other and, like, trying to push each other away um, just to pay for that meal. And um, it's not until you actually, you know, see how much is on that receipt uh, that you can really get an appreciation for, uh, you know, what it costs, right? If you just have this idea that, you know, someone just paid for you, someone, you know, covered your costs without really knowing how much it was, it doesn't quite hit home the same way. And in, in the same way, we need to understand what sin can look like in the human heart, what it can look like in our hearts, because only then can we really understand uh, the power of the cross. Only then can we understand the lengths to which Jesus went to uh, to really bring us home. And over the past couple of weeks, you know, like many of you, I've been incredibly disturbed. Um, I've been very saddened uh, you know, hearing about the shooting of uh, you know, 19 five to seven-year-old children in Texas and two teachers as well. Um, you know, just looking at some of these photos, I'm not a parent, but I just look at them and they're screaming. Uh, just no, no. They just, they can't comprehend what's just happened. Uh, they try to come to terms with, with the deaths of their children. And you know, you don't have to live for very long in our world. <laughs> Uh, to ask the question, really, what's wrong with us? How are we able to do some of the things that we're able to do to each other as human beings? And the answer that the Bible gives to us is, it's the sinfulness of the human heart. That's what it is. And we need to understand what sin can look like in the human heart. We need to understand what it can look like in our hearts. And we need to understand how sin can very subtly grip our hearts. And in our text today, um, you know, normally we don't do this every time, uh, but today I, I really want to hone in on this one verse, verse 6, uh, where Jesus gives this warning to his disciples. And he says, Beware, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I want us to consider two parts to this. First, how sin is like leaven. And secondly, 
uh, how sin resembles uh, the lives and the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I pray that as we look together at this, uh, we would be humbled by our own sin, but we would also be amazed at how, God, how great God's love is for sinners. So first of all, how sin is like leaven. And leaven, that's not a word that we really use today uh, very much. Uh, the modern equivalent that we use is yeast. And if you like to bake, you, you know what that is. I'm not really much of a baker. But uh, the thing is, even thousands of years ago, uh, the method of making bread wasn't drastically different. Uh, you just start with a small lump of leaven, uh, and you mix it in with the dough, and you put it in an oven, and it you know, forms bread. And uh, if you didn't know this already, leaven is like a living organism. It's alive. Uh, it's just a tiny piece, but uh, and you can't see it from the outside. But when you put it in that dough, uh, what it starts to do is it starts to eat. It starts to eat uh, the sugar inside of the dough. And it produces gases, and that's what causes the, the dough to rise and you know, form tasty bread. Right? It's a bit of a science lesson for you. And Jesus here in our text today, he warns his disciples that sin is like that. Sin is like leaven. Right? It starts off small and unseen, hidden, completely uh, internal. And, you know, you could be doing all the right things on the outside. You could be, you know, giving away your money to the poor. You could be going to church. You could be doing your best to not engage in any you know, questionable behavior. But as Jesus points out that sin is like leaven, really what he's asking us is what, what are the motives behind why you do these good things? And I think often what we'll find is that when we really examine the motives of our hearts, it's just not as good. It's not as benevolent or as selfless as we thought. And sin is like that. It starts off small and hidden and internal, you know, maybe with an unfulfilled desire, maybe with a feeling of restlessness or boredom, or maybe with a resentful thought. But then like leaven, it spreads, right? It spreads throughout the dough, and it becomes something more. It affects everything. And um, I didn't know this, but um, it seems fairly obvious. But if you leave that leaven or that yeast in the bread for too long, uh, eventually it eats up all of the sugar. And what you get is bread that is bitter. It's inedible. It's destroyed. And so, so sin starts off really small, internal, hidden, but then it starts to spread, and it eventually, it really destroys us. And let me give you an example. Let's say someone has wronged you. Someone has, you know, done something dishonest, or maybe said something, you know, bad uh, or wrong about you. Maybe it's someone from work, or maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's a family member, and you keep it alive. You know, how do you do that? you feed it a little bit, like leaven, right? You replay the tapes in your head of what they said to you or what they did to you, and then you start to wish that, that they get something back for what they did to you. And then you even start to imagine how much better your life would be 
happen without that person in your life. And either it will break out someday, like it will break outwards through your behavior. Maybe you'll verbally or physically even give back to the person who wronged you. Or if you feel like you have excellent self-control, if it doesn't break out, it'll break in and it will begin to sour your heart. And you'll say, that person wronged me, and then you'll start to look at other people who fall into that category, right? All spouses, right? All bosses at work, and maybe even all people of a certain race. And you'll say that, oh, they'll probably wrong me too. See, sin starts off small like this, but then it infects everything. And whether it breaks outwards or inwards, it'll destroy us. And the same thing applies to having extramarital thoughts about someone else. You'll never, you'll never just fall into an affair, right? It, it starts off small, and then it spreads, uh, and then it destroys you. The same thing applies to lies. Uh, you never just you never lie once. There's no such thing as, as lying one time. You know, it, it, it starts off small. It spreads. It condemns us. It destroys us. And it even destroys the people around us. And uh, if you think you can leave it alone, okay, but you can be sure that it will not leave you alone. That sin is like leaven. But secondly, uh, you know, why does... Jesus call it the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And here we get to the core of what sin is, right? not just what it's like, right? What it's, how it spreads, how it, you know, what its properties are in our hearts, but what it actually is. Right? So Jesus warns his disciples, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So who are these guys? You know, we've been seeing them pop up a lot uh, as we study the Gospel of Matthew. So you have the Pharisees, and these are guys who strictly obeyed the law and tradition, right? That, that name, Pharisees, it means separated. So they wore that term, they wore that tag very proudly, you know, I am separated from you because I keep the law strictly, and you do not. They're all about strict devotion to the law, but you also have the Sadducees, and these guys were predominantly uh, wealthy, the wealthy class of the Jewish people. Um, and what you have to understand is they had a major difference uh, in their theology, uh, in their belief system with the Pharisees. They actually didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. It's a huge thing. So for them, it was like, hey, this life is all there is. Let's live it up. Right, let's maximize this life. So when it came to God's law, they... Yeah, they wouldn't completely chuck it out the window, but they would bend it. They would sometimes break it uh, in order to keep living the way that they wanted to. Two very different groups of people. I don't know if you can identify yourself in either of these groups, but they're here, they're united, they're one unit against Jesus. And why is that? You know, you know sometimes when you're with friends, especially when you're younger, uh, you ask those really like dumb, you know, would you rather type questions. You know, some of them are funny, some of them are interesting, but some of them are just like, they're just dumb, they're just stupid. I remember being asked by a friend, would you rather get a 
paper cut every time you turn a page or bite your tongue every time you eat. And I like to read and I like to eat. So I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> they both are just never-ending forms of pain, right? Or this other silly one. Would, would you rather be mauled by a lion or be bitten by hundreds of spiders? I don't know. Like, <laughs> what does it matter? You're, you're dead at the end of it. You can't be deader one way than the other. You know, both result in you just being dead. And see, the point here is, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're living in different ways, but they're headed to the same result. Right? A spiritual death. They're not alive. They're not flourishing as disciples of Jesus. They're not living in the kingdom. See, on the one hand, you can live like a Pharisee, and that really just means you, you do like your best to be a good person. You, you try your hardest to just be a decent person, like to be morally good, uh, and that's what you live for. You live to do good, and by doing that, you feel very good. I think all of us can relate to that on some level. Even you know, coming out to church, it, it feels great. On the other hand, you can live like a Sadducee, and that's all about your best life now. And you'll bend, uh, you'll even break the rules to live pursuing the things that you want to pursue. And that's what's more, like, most important to you. Uh, and both ways really are the same. That's the point of this text. That's the point of Jesus calling this sin, this leaven, both of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Both are ways of controlling your own life and rejecting any need for a savior. You become your own savior. You become your own Lord. So we tend to think of sin as, you know, God saying, don't do this. And you do it. You disobey God. You know, you've sinned. That's, that's how we think of sin. But this text reminds us that the core of sin is actually not quite that, but it's to put yourself in a place that only God should be. It's to make yourself as the ultimate authority of your life. So if you go all the way to the very uh, beginning of this, this book, right, in Genesis 3, uh, you'll see the exact same thing unfolding. You know, the human heart hasn't changed over thousands and thousands of years very much. God tells Adam and Eve about a tree, and he says, you know, when it comes to this one tree in this garden, like, don't eat of it. You can eat of every other tree. Uh, you can you know, enjoy your life in my kingdom, in my rule and reign, but when it comes to this tree, don't eat of it. Obey me in that to this tree, and, and you'll live. And then uh, we, we know what happens. Uh, a serpent comes, and he puts a lie in their hearts, and he says, Actually, you won't die. You certainly won't die. If you, eat, if you eat of this tree, actually what will happen is you'll become like God. That's the lie that the serpent planted uh, in Adam and Eve. And really that's what all of us chase, isn't it? That's what all of our hearts are prone to go towards, like to put ourselves in the place of God, whether it looks like you're living like a Pharisee, 
and keeping all the rules, trying to be a good person. But really, you're still depending on yourself for your own salvation, or whether it looks like you're being a Sadducee and you're okay with bending the rules, you, you'll even break them uh, to pursue the things that you want in life. Same thing. You're your own Savior and your own Lord. And that is the core of sin. And you know, if that was the message of the Bible, if that was the message of Christianity, if that was the message of this text, you know, it's very clear, beware of sin, then um, yeah, we can all just go home and, and, and just close the book. Because Christianity then is just another religious system of just you know, saving yourself. Just do better. Just be a better person. Just don't do this and do that instead. That's not the good news of the gospel. See, the gospel is good news because in it, Jesus reverses the work of the serpent. He reverses that original lie that he planted in Adam and Eve. See, the first Adam was told by God, obey me about the tree and you'll live. And he didn't do it. Jesus, the second Adam, was told, Obey me about the tree, and you'll die. And he did it. See, if sin is putting yourself in God's place and trying to take on yourself only what God deserves to have as God, salvation is God taking your place and my place and taking on himself only what we deserve. See, um, the, the warning in this text is really clear. Beware of sin. But don't just beware of sin, friend. Behold the cost. Now behold the cost. Because the cross was a tree of death for Jesus Christ, that cross becomes a tree of life for you and me. Because he took the punishment for you and for me, you know, as we sang this morning, it's not just another lion. In the cross, we lose all our guilty stain. In the cross, it doesn't matter if you're the best person or if you're the worst person. All your sins are washed away. I don't know about you, but um, sometimes I get exhausted. You get exhausted uh, from just having a hard time trusting in God's love. Uh, you, you have a really hard time believing it, right? And if you just say to yourself, like, I, I know God loves me. Uh, you, you might have stuffed up. You might have failed. Um, you know, maybe I don't know, in, a, in a relationship or at work and... You just try to tell yourself, I, I know God loves me, I know God loves me, and it doesn't work, really, because it's just abstract. But if you behold the glory of Jesus dying for you on the cross, turning that tree of death into a tree of life, then it transforms you from a slave into a child. It transforms you from having to live a 
life of duty to a life of choice. Um, Augustine was one of the early church fathers. This guy was a sex addict, and he you know, wrote one of the greatest pieces of uh, autobiography and also theology that we have today called uh, Confessions. And he talks about how he used to be a sex addict. He talks about how when he would see a beautiful woman uh, walk past him, he couldn't help but be drawn to that woman. His eyes would just be drawn to that woman. Couldn't help but be attracted to that human being. And that is the human experience. We're attracted to beauty, to beautiful things. And so Augustine, he talks about when he, for the first time, when he beheld how beautiful, how wonderful Jesus was on that cross, he could not help but be drawn to him. He wrote, how you have loved us, O good Father. How you have loved us, O good Father. You did not spare your only son, but you delivered him up for us. How you have loved us. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing and beholding truly the only sinless person dying for sinners on that cross. When you see that beauty, when you see Jesus on that cross, and I don't just mean glimpse, but when you behold him, it'll draw your heart to him. It'll change you. It'll heal the sinfulness of your heart. You won't want to obey because you have to out of slavery, but out of adoption. Because he saved you when you did nothing to earn that or deserve that, but simply because he loved you. It will heal the sinfulness of our hearts, all of our hearts. We all have it. You know, we, we see these terrible things happening in our world, and it, it wrecks us, it grieves us, and on some level, uh, all of us sink. This is what it is. It's true. I, I see glimpses of this in myself at times. How great is the sinfulness of the human heart. But how great is the love of God. He did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us. He became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. It is the most beautiful thing that you can behold in your life. And if you will, it will transform you. It will change you. It will draw your heart to him. Let's pray. Father God, um, as we gather together as your people today, uh, we just take a moment right now to just gaze at the cross. To be honest, we don't do this often. Our lives are busy. Our lives are fast-paced. They're really hectic. I ask right now that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to simply gaze and behold the beauty of Christ crucified on that cross. Oh, to see the blood, that precious blood flowing down from his wounds 
to see that blood cover us, to be plunged beneath that flood, for all of our guilty stains to be lost and to be removed. What a wonderful Savior. Lord, we thank you so much that you forgive us of all of our sins. We're just washed clean. That is it in the sinless Savior who died for us to make it happen. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you showed it to us on the cross. And I pray that as your people go forth uh, into their weeks and in even into the rest of this day, Lord, would you draw us to the beauty of the cross? Would you help us to slow down and to behold that beauty? Jesus crucified. And I know that it will change us. It will transform us. Thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.